time in our service where we're going to take communion, and I've been reading through 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles over the last, like, month or so, lost power, right. but a couple weeks there at least. And I noticed that pattern that many of you probably have noticed as you read through there, the good and bad kings piece, where you, you felt a little, like, after a while, you're like, come on, somebody get it together, right? But maybe there's a good king, and you're like, yeah, yeah, go, 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 go. And then all of a sudden, the next guy's like, tanks, you right, know, and takes right. the whole country with him, you know? And you're like, ah. Oh. And it's just this pattern, you know, of those who did good, those who did evil. And it was just really striking that, I mean, you can see, and you read and digest, like, the entire country's history of over a course of, like, a couple hundred years, and you can just, like, read about it in, like, a couple of weeks, you know? And, and in some ways, you know, I mean... This, this represented the life, the lifetimes of many different generations of people, but like you can read about it in a paragraph, right? So sometimes it feels yeah. a little like you're getting the very top level view of it, which is fine, and that was probably the intent of the authors, right? They couldn't detail everything, but I, I often like to think about well, what would it be like, you know, to be in that time because these people lived individual lives and yeah. were trying to work it out the best they can, very similar to us today. Uh, and, I, and I think despite, you know, uh, we, you know, they, I think, had a lot of the same general influences, temptations, distractions that we have today. Obviously, we're a lot more advanced technology, but really, I mean, human nature hasn't changed that much. Probably not, right? So, but I also noted, you know, as part of that uh, time frame, I mean, this could represent hundreds of thousands of individuals, all with their own struggles and circumstances. They had childhoods, occupations, maybe they got married, maybe they had kids, they had extended families. They're doing their best to put one foot in front of the other, just like us. Um, but God saw them as individuals. And I think it's always important to not lose that fact when we read in the Bible about something kind of more general or topically. Um, definitely ups and downs. But I did see another pattern, and I saw the pattern of where God engaged time and time again, reaching out to a population who, if nothing else, they're consistent in their inconsistency or inter intermittent, right? Um, possibly, you know, where they had good times and bad times, people's hearts were for God, people's hearts weren't so much for God. Um, but, you know, encouragingly, there was, there were still people who desired to know God and do their best to follow him. I think that today, and I was just thinking of this as a, as a recent example, you know, we see in the news, you know, lots of churches uh, closing their doors due to shrinking membership or aging uh, church floors or changing demographics even. You know, I think um, the church, uh, the large Catholic church is right up the road here with the big iron bell tower, right? It's kind of like an iconic, I mean, it's really only been there for, I don't know, 50 years or something like that, but for our lifetime, right? I mean, it's always been there, right. kind of represents Burlington. And there's been like kind of a, a, a surge for the town be like, oh, it's such a shame like that, like like it closed because they just didn't have the, the membership to support it, so there were some logistics there, and everyone's like, 
that's such a shame. Like, why don't we keep it open? Well, people have to go. Right? You know? And, uh, but I think it's in, in a similar way, though. I mean, churches, you know, they, they lament the younger generation isn't necessarily following the previous generation and their family traditions or practices. I mean, all these things are just common, I think, to, in many congregations, including our own, right? Um, you know, maybe they're not keeping with the times, not meeting the needs of 21st century individuals. Lots of different things. And I think that it's easy sometimes to have God have that association. Like the church goes out, you know, God goes out with the bathwater too, right? And potentially for a lot of different generations, maybe the same for the Israelites that we read about during their times. Right. Who knows, right? Right. Um, but putting yourself in their shoes, you know, maybe there, maybe there were some similarities. Uh, I just breeze past where I'm using my up and down button. Where are we here? Okay, Hebrews 1 3. The Bible says that Jesus is an exact representation of God's nature. I've always loved that scripture. Um, I think it's super cool. To the extent that you know Jesus, you can see God's nature and love for us. And Jesus, within this context, demonstrates his love for us by dying the death, or the, buying a, dying a substitution death. Mm-hmm. Right? So I want to just explore that a little bit here. Let's. Um, Let's turn to Isaiah 53. And in Isaiah 53, and I've, I've always enjoyed seeing Old Testament prophecies, how they pan out in the New Testament. Just, you know, very faith-building. And then also how that ties into history and how you can kind of trace it through and get extra-biblical, you know, accounts of some of the same things so that you feel like it's, it's all tied together and you can see God working through just generations and thousands of years. And we have the benefit of seeing those prophecies and knowing the outcome, too. So it's a little bit easier for us when you're on the other side looking back than maybe it was for the people going through right. stuff with prophecy to not know how that was going to look like 2,000 years later, right? But in Isaiah 53, verse 1, it says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom the people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested, for he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. 
And I think it's it's super cool. I, a lot, oftentimes, I want to say that Isaiah comes to mind maybe a little bit more like be like a Christmas Christmas time type passage, you know, where we have the wonderful counselor. Mike, I'm trying to think of that that scripture right there, but but I, I really love that Isaiah. Um, who I, I believe was a contemporary of some of the kings in some of the books that I was reading and going through that was was basically giving Isaiah, uh, giving Israel a prophecy of God's intentions, right? And and I think it was very much you know it wasn't that God's nature had changed, like that was still God's intent was to bless and to reconcile back then, and He did it consistently. There's uh, I uh, noted here, but. I did find that there are multiple times, and I kind of chuckled in a sense, but where during the good times, the good kings, like there'd be kind of a, a rejuvenation or something. And in one particular case, I think it was Hezekiah, had sent out couriers into all of Israel to like proclaim essentially the you know the revival, and a lot of the couriers got laughed at. People just weren't into it, right? And you're just like, wow, that's Sometimes I kind of feel like that walking down Church Street. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, looking at the Old Testament and, and knowing that, you know, that's like 2,700 years ago, I think, you know, give or take a few decades or a century or something like that. I'm not exactly sure. But Isaiah 59, 2, it says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Our sins have separated us from our God and there needed to be a way, a way to repair that relationship, our relationship. We couldn't do it ourselves no matter how much effort. We needed God to forgive us. We couldn't earn it or obtain it in any other way from our, our own efforts. God, in his forbearance and understanding, knew that the objects of his love would be unable to get there on their own. So he needed to put himself in the, in that, in the situation. So he came up with a plan and the plan was Jesus. So Jesus would bear our iniquities. We can see that in the passage we just read. So 2,700 years ago, roughly, God knew what we needed today. So I wanted to just close out here reading it in Romans 5. In Romans 5, verse 6, it says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for us. Jesus demonstrating God's nature. What greater demonstration could God give us to express how he feels? Um, He gave his only son to gain you. That's That's a pretty bold statement how God feels about each one of us individually and all those individuals over all the centuries um, God has not changed and we can take comfort today just knowing that that's the God we've come to worship that cared about each one of us by name happily knows all the hairs on your head you know Um, but he he can count them he knows you there and we're here because he loves us so let's go God and pray Amen Father, thank you so much uh, that we can be here worshiping you this morning and worshiping for a reason because uh, we, we come kind of uh, uh, barehanded, uh, bringing nothing, um, but yet walking away with everything. 
Father. And most of all, we get to walk away just knowing that you love us and that it's been proven by you sending Jesus to die for us. And uh, God, I just pray that each one of us this morning, uh, despite uh, the week that we've had or just our own life's trials and challenges and the world around us and all the things that we wish were different or, you know, there's lots of those. But God, ultimately, in every generation, you are reaching out your hand uh, just so that some will, will take it. God, I pray that we can take your hand this morning. And uh, God, thank you that you love us. And uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you.